You're listening to an audio message from The Well, a gospel-centered church family in Hastings, Nebraska that exists to grow disciples and glorify God. For more information, please visit www.thewellhastings.com. Father, uh, God, thank you for your word. And God, thank you for the opportunity that we have to gather together to hear the preaching of your word. And Lord, thank you for preserving this word um, eternally. I thank you that your word is trustworthy and true. Thank you that, that in your word we can find the assurance of your second coming. And that we can rest assured knowing that you are faithful and true. And that your word is faithful and true. God, I pray that you would take that principle of assurance and that you would apply it to our hearts. We live in the midst of a world um, that does not give us assurance. And so help us to find assurance in you this evening. And then, God, out of that, God, I pray that you would create within us a desire to live in a way that continuously grows in our readiness for your return. Help us not to be people that just kind of stumble around in the dark, so to speak, unaware of what's happening around us, unaware of the spiritual condition of our souls, unaware of the the needs within us, unaware of the needs of the world around us. Help us to live in such a way that we are aware of you, that we have our eye on you and your return, and that you would help us to live in readiness. Help us not to be caught off guard at the last moment when you return. Help us to be that kind of people. And I pray that you would help this message to uh, encourage that in each of our hearts. So God, I pray those things. I ask that you would do that. I pray that you would take the meditations of my heart and the words of my mouth and that you would use them in our midst that they would be acceptable in your sight, that you would remove any hindrances or any distraction, that you would remove any spiritual um, hindrances in our midst, and that you would help me speak the words that you um, want to be spoken. Pray, God, that you would open our hearts to hear from you. In Jesus' name, and everybody said? Amen. Amen. Luke 21, verses 29 through 36. And he told them a parable. Look at the fig tree and all the trees. As soon as they come out in leaf, you see for yourselves and know that the summer is already near. So also when you see these things taking place, you know that the kingdom of God is near. Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all has taken place. Heaven and earth will pass away. But my words will not pass away. But watch yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and cares of this life. And that day come upon you suddenly like a trap. For it will come upon all who dwell on the face of the whole earth. But stay awake at all times, praying that you may have strength to escape all these things that are going to take place. And to stand before the Son of Man. And see, what Jesus is doing in this passage is he is 
telling his disciples that they can most certainly have the assurance of his second coming. For the last few weeks, we've been studying about this big word eschatology, the study of end times, the study of Christ's return. And what Jesus is wanting to do in this passage is give his disciples the assurance of his second coming. And he's also wanting to instruct them on their need to be ready for his second coming, for his return. So two words you can write in the margins of your Bible or in your notes. Assurance and readiness. Assurance and readiness. Those are the themes of what we will study this evening. These are the two words that I hope to drive home to you as we look at this text. So ask yourselves uh, questions like this to begin. I want you just to reflect for a moment and let the Holy Spirit just reveal to you where you are at. Do you live with the assurance of Christ's return? Do you rest in the assurance of Christ's return? Does your understanding and knowledge of the return of Christ help you to live more assured day by day and moment by moment? And then does your understanding of the assurance of God's second coming, of Christ's second coming, does your continued growth and understanding in that assurance, does that then motivate you to live a life that is ready for His return? Or are you just kind of wandering aimlessly unaware through life? Because if there's one thing that the assurance of Christ's second coming should do for each of us is it should motivate us and help us to live ready for Him. To desire and yearn and long to be more and more ready for the return of Christ. It's what this assurance should do inside of each and every one of us. See, assurance is something that every one of us longs for. We want to be assured that our relationships will stand the test of time. We want to be assured that our financial decisions are wise. We want to be assured that the career we've chosen is right for us. But I, but I think deep down inside, what I think each of us longs for the most is to rest assured that God can be trusted. It's something that, it's something that is deep within every one of us. It's this desire to know for sure if God can be trusted. And the reality about Luke's gospel anyways, go back to the beginning of Luke's gospel. He says, the reason that I'm writing this in, in, in the first chapter, he says, the reason I'm writing this is so that you can be sure of who Christ is and what he came to do. We want to know if if Jesus will really come back, if He really will come back and rescue us as He says He will. And I think if you think back over the last few weeks as Jesus has talked about the destruction that is coming upon Jerusalem, 
As he talks about some of the signs of the ends of the times, as he talks about the signs of his second coming, as he paints these panoramic pictures of what the end of the world would look like and what his second coming would look like, I think as he does that, I think there is certain fear that is uh, setting in with his disciples as they hear what Jesus talks about. I think it causes many questions in their minds. And so Jesus being the good pastor, shepherd, prophet that he is, um, I think what he does here in, in this first portion of our text as he tells this story about trees and generations, as he's laying out the fact that we can be assured that we can be assured of Christ's second coming. This is not just a fairy tale. This is not just something that fanatical Christians believe. This is the truth of God's word. And he, he lays this out in some, some really astounding ways. He lays out four things, I think. Four ways that we can be assured of his second coming. Number one, I think what Jesus is saying is that you can be assured just by looking at the trees. He uses the trees as an illustration. He simply says, look at the fig tree and all the trees. Not just a certain kind of tree, but all the trees. Look at all the trees. As soon as they come out in leaf, you see for yourselves and you know that summer is already near. In other words, it's easy to tell the changing seasons by looking at the trees around us, right? The trees in the season that we live in right now have all changed colors and the leaves are falling to the ground, which means what? Winter, which causes my wife to dress up in really warm clothing and do the happy dance every time the temperature gets back above 40. Um, Heather the other night was like, could she do the snow dance, please? I'm like, my wife will never do the snow dance. She just she won't. It's just not, that's not what Christy does. Christy does not like the cold weather. It's going to be cold here soon. We learned that by looking at the trees. And in Nebraska, you learn that by the wind blowing because there's no mountains to uh, stop the wind from blowing. Right? I mean, think about it. After a bitter, cold winter... After a long, bitter, cold winter, it is reassuring to know that the warm days of spring and summer are right around the corner. Love seeing the trees come into bloom. Love watching my wife do her happy dance. <clears throat> and after enduring the long, dark days of winter, it's not just cold, but they're darker, right? And after enduring the long, dark days of winter, man, it can be super reassuring to know that around the corner are going to be days that are full of more light. When you know that there's going to be terrifying days ahead, scary days ahead. When you know that because your doctor predicts or diagnoses, a disease that is tough and hard to deal with or diagnosis that in a family member. It's good to be able to look ahead and find the hope of brighter days ahead. It's the assurance that we find in the promises of God. It's the truth that all of this will come to an end one day. And that Christ will return and restore everything to its rightful order. Like when your struggle with sin seems to be getting the best of you, 
That's the day when you want to be reassured that Christ will restore you completely. When your soul has been gripped by depression and fear of long, dark, cold, wintry seasons of spiritual depression or spiritual darkness, that's when you and I want to be assured that this season will soon pass as Christ has promised. That's when you and I need to be reassured that Christ's second coming is near. What he says in this passage is you can rest assured of Christ's second coming just by taking a look at the trees. Try this sometime. I just dare you sit outside in your yard sometime bundled up if you need to be and just look at the trees silently and let the Holy Spirit reassure you that just as those trees change with the coming seasons and you know what's coming around the corner in that same reassurance you and I can rest assured that Jesus will return the second thing that Jesus does is he outlines these Four things, I think he outlines that we can be assured when we see things happening around us. You think about all the things that you or I experience in this life, the things that we see happening. He says it this way. He says, so also when you see these things taking place, you know that the kingdom of God is near. What things taking place is Jesus referring to? This is the question. It's one of the main questions in this text. What things taking place is he referring to? Is he simply referring to the trees in bloom? Is he referring to the destruction of Jerusalem, which he's already prophesied? Is he referring to the signs of the end of the world, which he's also prophesied? Or is he referring to the sign of his own return, which he's also prophesied? Many scholars are divided on what Jesus means when he uses this phrase, when you see these things taking place. There are many scholars that have tried to unravel this statement by chopping all of the previous text up into so many pieces and portions that you would almost no longer even understand what he was saying. And oftentimes the motivating factor behind scholars and writers as they chop this up, oftentimes their motivation is, is their attempt to piece together a timeline of events of when things will happen so that they can inevitably land at the end of their timeline and say, this is when Jesus is going to come back. There's a problem with this. The problem with this is that Jesus, I don't think, is really giving us like a moment-by-moment -moment timeline. He actually says elsewhere in the other synoptic gospels, Matthew and Mark, it actually says, hey, I don't really even know what the timing of this is going to be like. Only my father knows this. So man, if, if Jesus is like, you know, this is not the point. Like figuring out what the date line is not the point. My father knows that. He's the only one that needs to know that. So then, what does Jesus mean? 
I think what Jesus has been doing all throughout this passage is instead of laying out this little timeline with an end date on it, I think he's painting more of a panoramic picture. And you might think of it this way. I think Jesus is painting a panoramic picture of things that have happened, things that are happening, and things that will happen. And in fact, if you go to the book of Revelation, which John wrote, you'll find that when John begins writing the Revelation, he begins by saying, I'm writing to you so that you will know the things that have happened, the things that are happening, and the things that will happen. And so I think there's some, uh, I think there's some consistency in using this type of lens when interpreting this passage. Painting a panoramic view, panoramic picture of things that have happened, things that are happening, and things that will happen. You think about it, Jerusalem, as he has prophesied about the destruction of Jerusalem just a few passages ago for us now a few weeks ago. The destruction of Jerusalem had already happened once before. Jesus is simply prophesying that, hey guys, it's going to happen again. That's why it would be so horrifying for his disciples to hear, because they had already experienced this kind of devastation. There were already nations fighting against other nations. And this would continue even till today. Jesus had come into the world as he spoke these things and walked among us and ministered. He had already come, but he's also saying, I will return again. I will come back again. And much of this his disciples didn't understand because, man, they thought he was there to just like establish the kingdom. Get on the throne and knock the Romans off and we're good, right? Like they had misunderstood. I mean, if, if, they, if they found it easy to misunderstood, misunderstand some of the things that Jesus was saying, it would be easy for us to say. We could misunderstand some things and be a little bit off as well. But Jesus had already come into the world and he said, I'm going to come again. I think the big theme behind what Jesus is saying in this portion when he says, hey, when you see these things taking place, you know that the kingdom of God is near. And I think what he's simply saying is just what he's saying. When you look around you, you and I and his disciples then and generations who will live beyond us. When we look around, we see the things that he is talking about. Destruction of entire cities. The world in the midst of chaos. When we see these things, we can trust and know. We can assure, we can be assured that his second coming is near. And then the third thing that I think Jesus outlines in this kind of first portion as he's giving us assurance. Is I think that he says that we can be assured by this generation. This is an interesting portion of text. This is the way he says it. Truly, I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all has taken place. In other words, Jesus, I think, is, is simply speaking the truth to his disciples. When he says that this generation will not pass away until all these things have taken place and he has returned. But we have to ask a question about what he's saying here. What does he mean when he says this generation? Who is he talking about? This generation. 
What does he mean when he says, until all has taken place? Once again, many scholars disagree on this across the board. In fact, I will tell you, I read no less than seven to eight different commentaries over the course of this last week and had conversations with a number of pastoral friends on the meaning of these two phrases. This generation until all has taken place. Because the reality when it comes to biblical interpretation is the way that you interpret one phrase grammatically and historically that will then dictate how you interpret the other phrase grammatically and historically. Let me just set the foundation for you once again. The one thing I do know is this. Jesus did not say this to 20th century Christians. He said this to his disciples that were standing right in front of him. The question is, what did he mean when he said it? There are four basic interpretations uh, that I want to try to lay out for you. Some of you may say, okay, so our pastor's geeking out in front of us. He's bringing all this eschatology, theology. What does this really mean for me today? I just want to encourage you to hang in there. Like This is the work that I hope that our church would do on our own. That's what I would hope, is that when you come across passages in Scripture that kind of like, huh, I wonder what that means. That seems kind of crazy. This generation, until all these things have taken place, what generation is he talking about? My hope is that you would begin to do this work as well. That's why I want to take us here tonight. And I just pray ahead of time that the Lord would make this clear to us. Because I realize I'm trying to take... 15 hours of study and eight different commentaries and two conversations with some pastoral friends. And I want to condense it into one point and hope that you guys get it, right? In biblical interpretation, the word generation, we're going to boil it down to one word for a second. The word generation can simply mean four different things depending upon the context that you read it in. It's like asking the question, what is the meaning of is? Get it? Depends on where you got it in context, right? Because words in context give other words their meaning. So in biblical interpretation, the word generation can mean or be interpreted by either of the following four definitions. Here's the four definitions Hopefully boiled down simply. Uh, the word generation can mean either A, Jesus' contemporaries, the people that are standing right there in front of Jesus. That could be what the word generation means in this context. Uh, it, it could also mean um, um, the people who are alive in the final days. It could mean that in the context. Uh, it could also mean, this word generation could mean simply a race of people. A certain race of people like the Jews. Uh, also in this context, the word generation could mean a certain kind of people. Now, now those four different definitions of the word generation, depending upon how you read the context, I like to call these four ways to be assured by generation. 
What I, what I found after studying this out this week is that in all four of these definitions and interpretations, there is assurance of Christ's second coming. That's the beautiful thing about what I found. If this generation, if the phrase this generation refers to Jesus' contemporaries, the people that are standing right in front of him, then the phrase until all these things take place would simply refer to everything that Jesus has prophesied except for the second coming. And the reason for that is because we know that Christ has not returned yet. Otherwise, we are the subject matter of a really heretical set of books called Left Mind, right? <laughs> Secondly, if, if this phrase, this generation, if it refers to the generation that is alive at the beginning of the signs of Christ's second coming, then the second phrase, until all has taken place, would simply refer to this generation that is alive at that time who will continue to live until everything has taken place. Follow me? A third way of reading this would be if generation refers to a race of people. So if the phrase this generation refers to a race of people, then the phrase until all has taken place would refer to everything that Jesus has prophesied while giving great hope to the nation of Israel as a specific race. And he's giving them great hope that God would preserve them as a race of people until he returns. And then the fourth way of interpreting this phrase would be if the phrase this generation refers to a kind of people, a kind of people like believers or unbelievers, righteous people or evil people, kinds of people. If Jesus is using his language to mean that, then the second phrase, until all has taken place, would refer to everything that Jesus prophesied in regards to the destruction that awaits the unbeliever and the hope that is in store for the believer. Four different interpretations and definitions of this word generation as it boils out to these two phrases. You might be asking the same question I asked at some point this week, where I began to say, where is the assurance in all of this? How, how, how could someone be persuaded to trust in Christ in the midst of what seems to be a massive lack of clarity or certainty or assurance on the meaning of these phrases? Well, the way that I would argue is that maybe the simple truth here for us is that we can be assured four times over. That we could be assured four times over of Christ's return by these four various interpretations of these phrases. That maybe by examining all four of these 
possible interpretations. We, we could be so assured of the truth of Christ's second coming that we actually get caught up in the steadfastness of the word of God and his preservation of the truth of his word. What, what, what if that what if that is what the Lord is looking for in the midst of this? This is why I say that I believe that there are four ways to be assured by this generation. Listen, here's the way I wrote it. We can be assured by this generation as we observe Christ's preservation of the final generation that will be alive during his return. We can be assured by this generation as we observe Christ's love and compassion for his contemporaries, for the people that stood there right in front of him. We, we could be assured by this generation as we observe God's preservation of the nation of Israel throughout the centuries. We could be assured by this generation as we rest in the truth of God's judgment of evil kinds of people who oppose him and his gracious salvation of righteous kinds of people who receive him. We really can be assured of Christ's second coming as we examine this word generation. The final piece of assurance that I think Jesus gives us in this passage is the assurance of the words of Christ. He wants to teach us that you and I can be assured by the words of Christ. He wraps up his story of encouragement to rest assured in his second coming by saying this, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. The very words that Jesus used to speak these words are more eternally trustworthy than heaven and earth itself. That's a mind blower if you stop and think about it. That's a category creator for your mind. The very words that Jesus used to preach these words of prophecy were more eternally secure and assured than heaven and earth itself. The very words that Jesus used to describe his own words will outlive heaven and earth. What assurance we have in the words of Christ. What assurance we have, what, what, what rest we can enjoy as we rest in the certainty and the assurance of Christ's word to us. Jesus Christ is the word of God who became flesh and dwelt among us. He was the light of the world who came in to the darkness of the world by the very word of God, the same Word, the same power in that word that created all of heaven and earth has to be more powerful because it created the world. This is God's word, Christ in the flesh. You and I can be assured of Christ's second coming because of the trustworthiness and the eternality of the words that have been spoken and preached and prophesied by the word of God who is Christ. 
God wants you and I to rest assured, to trust Him. The biggest question deep within our soul at times is, is God really trustworthy? And the thing that God would want to preach into your heart and your soul this evening is, yes. More trustworthy than anything that you can see around you. You can be assured of Christ's second coming just by looking at the trees. Just by observing all that is happening around you. Just by examining the phrase, this generation. Just by resting in the eternal trustworthiness of the word of Christ. Jesus is returning someday soon. And of that, I am sure. And my hope is that you are assured as well. The second thing that Jesus teaches us about in this passage as he speaks to his disciples is that uh, out of this deep sense of assurance, out of that deep sense of certainty in regards to Christ's return, we need to get ready for Christ's second coming. And I want you to think about this. The opposite of being ready is to be caught off guard or to be unprepared. And as I prepared to preach this text, I'm also preparing or getting ready to celebrate Thanksgiving, as I'm certain most of you are as well in one form or another. And for me, I love Thanksgiving. I love getting ready to celebrate this holiday uh, with uh, friends and family as we get together. I love thinking about all the food that we're going to cook up and eat. I love getting up early on Thanksgiving morning and getting all the food out of the freezer and getting my fire going and trying not to burn down my garage while frying up that turkey. I love preparing for Thanksgiving. Can you imagine what it would be like to wake up on Thanksgiving morning though and realize, oh, Crap, I forgot to go grocery shopping. <laughs> How scary would that be to have planned this gigantic family feast that we're going to have only to wake up on Thanksgiving morning and realize I'm not ready. <laughs> How guilty do you think I would feel? How much of a fool would I be how much shame do you think I would feel in those moments after inviting so many people over, planning out on paper, only to find out I forgot the most important thing, which was to go grocery shopping. That's not a good idea, is it? If you get nothing else out of what I preach <laughs> over the next few minutes, I hope that picture sticks with you. Because that's the picture of what it means to get ready for Christ. If you are assured of His second coming, there are six ways. Six ways that you need to get ready that Jesus unpacks. He says you need to get ready by keeping a close watch over yourself, number one. He says watch yourself. In other words, stay aware of yourself. And listen, while following Christ is like all about dying to yourself and then coming alive to Christ, you cannot die to that which you do not know you need to die to. 
You're walking around in this life with blinders over your eyes and unaware of the things in which you need to die to. You cannot die to them. You also cannot come alive to the one who, uh, who, whose responsibility is to make you alive unless you have been made alive in him. So if you're here and you've been made alive in Christ, then the encouragement is to continue coming to greater levels of more life in him. Watch over yourself. You cannot walk through this life absent-mindedly ignoring yourself, but you also must forget yourself as you come to know Christ, who is the master shepherd of your soul. And if he is the master shepherd of your soul, then he will shepherd you in your readiness for his returns. This means that you have to identify things that you need to leave behind. As you follow Christ with your eye on his return, you need to get ready for Christ's second coming by keeping a close watch on yourselves. Apostle Paul echoes these words when he says to the Ephesian elders, keep a close eye on yourself and the flock in which you are a part of that you now shepherd. Number two, Jesus says you need to get ready by not allowing your heart to get weighed down. Watch yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down, verse 34. This is a picture of someone who is carrying the weight of the world on his or her shoulders. It's a picture of someone carrying so much baggage that they can barely stand under the pressure, under the weight. It's a picture of someone who is living under the bondage and the weight of their sin and despair. When Christ returns, when he comes back, he should not find us all hunched over under the weight of sin-trapped hearts. That should not be the way that he finds us when he returns. He should find us living as new creations in Christ Jesus. The old has passed away, the new has come. If you're here and you trust in him and you have the assurance of his second coming, then you live with the assurance that you are his. Bought, purchased, paid for, owned by him, the object of his love. So when he comes back, you and I are standing tall like, hey, that's my king. Right? That's where you and I need to be. Not weighed down. You and I need to get ready for Christ's second coming by not allowing our hearts to get weighed down. Number three, we need to get ready by not being hung over or intoxicated. Jesus says, watch yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness. Dissipation simply means hung over. It's the meaning of the word. Drunkenness simply means drunkenness. But just in case you were wondering... Another way of interpreting it simply means intoxicated or controlled by a substance. The same language that once again the Apostle Paul uses in Ephesians later on down the road when he speaks of not being saturated, which is this word drunkenness, controlled or intoxicated by some external substance, but instead you should be controlled by the Holy Spirit of God. This picture that Jesus paints for us is a picture of someone who is engaged in self-medicating behavior to numb themselves, numb themselves from the pain and the hardship and the suffering of this life. Listen, if you're here and you are a believer, 
It should not be this way for you. The believer simply should not be under the influence or intoxication of anything other than the Spirit of God who gives life, who renews life, who refreshes life, who restores life. This is the work of the Spirit in our lives. For the believer to be saturated or filled to the point of intoxication by anything other than the Spirit of God is to reject or stiff arm the filling of the Holy Spirit in your life. You claim to be a believer, then you claim to be under the kingship and lordship and control of the Spirit of God. To be controlled by anything else is to not be controlled by the Spirit of God. You cannot be ready for the second coming of Christ. And I would even say you do not have the assurance of the second coming of Christ because you're finding your assurance in a, sub in a substance that intoxicates you. Or find your promises and your hope in that substance rather than finding it in Christ himself and the promise of his return. If you're walking around in a stupor from the effects of your unholy intoxication, this should come as a warning to you to find your assurance in Christ himself. You need to get ready for the second coming of Christ. It could happen in any moment. And you need to do so by not living your life hungover or intoxicated. The fourth thing that Jesus says in our passage is that you need to get ready by not being distracted by the cares of this life. Watch yourself lest your hearts be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and cares of this life. The cares of this life are the hardships of this life, the suffering of this life, the worries of this life, the anxiety of this life, the wants of this life, the, the desires of this life, the needs of this life. And Jesus has promised all throughout the scriptures to provide for your needs, both physical and spiritual. Exhortation of this passage is to not get distracted by the cares of this life. Not to get sidetracked by the cares of this life. Not to follow bunny trails that promise control or, or success with the cares of this life. I've known so many people that have derailed their faith and disqualified themselves from the blessings of God. I've known so many people who have been so distracted by the cares of this life and who've slowly faded away from God that they no longer live with the urgency that God is returning soon. They no longer live with that urgency. You and I need to be ready. Jesus simply says, get ready for the second coming of Christ by not being distracted by the cares of this life. The fifth thing, fifth thing. The fifth thing that Jesus says is you need to get ready by not being trapped on the last day. He says, get ready lest that day come upon you suddenly like a trap, for it will come upon all who dwell on the face of the whole earth. Christ's second coming will be a surprise. It's not something you can just chart out on a piece of paper and be like, yep, that's the day when Jesus is coming, so this is where I'm at over here. Man, I've got plenty of time. I'll live my life however I want. That is not the way this goes. 
be a surprise what happens suddenly. Everyone that is alive during the time of Christ's return will experience the suddenness of his appearing in power and glory. Boom, like a thief in the night. Christ's second coming will almost be like watching a mouse. Right? Like a mouse unexpectedly walking into a trap with his eyes focused on the cheese that he wants so much. So much so to the extent that he is completely unaware of his surroundings. And then at the last possible moment, smushed by the trap. Which, by the way, I kind of love watching happen when it comes to mice. There's a lot of animals I love. Please don't like call me into Peter or anything like that. But mice... Uh, it's snakes. Back on track. <laughs> That's what the picture is like. If you're walking around in a drunken, intoxicated, hungover, or distracted state of mind, you will be caught unaware on the last day, and it will be just like stepping into a gigantic bear trap that you can't get out of. The encouragement for you and I is to get ready for the second coming of Christ by not being trapped on the last day. The sixth thing that Jesus outlines to his disciples, and I believe to us then, is that we need to get ready by staying awake and praying. You need to get ready by staying awake and praying. Now, I was at a youth uh, retreat, winter retreat over the weekend, and it doesn't seem to be very hard for teenagers to stay awake. But the older that I get, it's much harder <laughs> to stay awake. The picture that Jesus is painting here is that we need to stay aware, awake, praying. Stay awake at all times, praying that you may have strength to escape all these things that are going to take place and to stand before the Son of Man. Every person who has ever lived will stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Every person who lived their life full of God's Spirit will hear these words. If you've lived your life with the assurance of Christ's return and the assurance of your salvation, which simply means today I was saved, tomorrow I flip and lost it, and I gotta get saved again, like that's not assurance. Okay? If you live with the assurance of your salvation and the assurance that Christ is coming back for you because he bought and paid for you and purchased you and you now belong to him, he didn't hawk you off to some hawk shop down the street. He also didn't let somebody else come and get you and hawk you off to some hawk shop down the street either because Jesus cares for you and loves you. So he preserved you in your salvation. If you have that assurance inside of you, you will not be released to live in sin more. You'll be released with new motivations, which are to love God. And if that's you, then in the last day you will stand before God and you will hear these words, Well done, my good and faithful son or daughter. You may enter into your final place of rest in the presence of your good Father. Every person who lived their life full of intoxicating substances, and distracted by the cares of this world, will find themselves trapped in a living hell. And instead will hear these words, Depart from me, you're a wretched person, and I never knew you. It's not like, oh, I knew you for a week or so when you were following Jesus. It's, I never knew you. This teaching on assurance cuts so deep into the scriptures. Man, the doctrines of grace are so good. 
Why are they good? Because it's good news to know that your father, when he becomes your father, he'll never let go of you. You have that assurance. And the way that you know that is by the fruit of your life. The person who lives their life in the fullness of God gets ready for Christ's return by staying awake or alert and praying for the strength of the Holy Spirit to help them escape the clutches of sin which lulls them to sleep. Every person who then lives their life getting ready for Christ's return will stay alert and will pray for God to preserve them through fiery trials, through persecution, through temptation to sin until the end. The encouragement to you and I is to get ready for Christ's return by staying awake and praying. As I wrap this up with a couple of closing reflections, I want to just remind us of these two words. Assurance and readiness. Do you have the assurance that Christ has been your Savior? Do you have the assurance that He is returning for you one day? And are you now living your life as a person who is getting ready for His return? If you have this assurance, then it's equally important to be ready. Let me close in prayer as our music team comes. Father, thank you. Thank you once again for the message of the gospel which does bid us to come to you and to trust in you, to confess our sins, to repent of our sin, and to be made new. Thank you for the message of the gospel which continuously reminds us that we can trust and rest assured that you who are faithful and true will also forgive us, restore us, renew us, and then send us out the door to live as people who are getting ready for your return. God, I just pray that you would apply these two themes of assurance and readiness to our hearts and our souls. I just thank you for your word. In Jesus' name, amen. As we close, we're going to close with communion as normal. There will be two of us near the front here in just a moment. To serve you communion, we'd ask that, we'd ask that you take communion if you're a believer. You don't have to be a member of the church. You need to be a believer, though, somebody who is trusted in Christ, somebody who has this assurance, somebody who desires to be ready for Christ's return. And so that's between you and the Lord. We just ask that you would do that work with Jesus. If you're here, you're not a believer, you're struggling with that, um, then there will be a few of us near the front that would be happy to pray with you as well, answer questions, and so on and so forth. Um, and so uh, let's close and worship. I'll ask you guys to stand. Let's close in worship and communion and be happy to pray with you guys as you have need. Thanks for letting me preach. Love you guys. You're listening to an audio message from The Well, a gospel-centered church family in Hastings, Nebraska that exists to grow disciples and glorify God. For more information, please visit www.thewellhastings.com.